0: Hello, and welcome to the Innovate IPM podcast, where we are passionate about the future of the industrial projects professions, presenting you the best of project management people and practices, combining the wisdom of time-tested methods with the cutting edge technologies and advancements that are modernizing our craft. Our mission is to contribute to the growth and progress of the industrial project management community. It's time to talk scope, schedule, and budget. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Williams, your host of Innovate IPM Podcast. Uh, Today on episode four... We're going to be talking to a guy uh his name is matt devitt he's out of michigan he's the director of operations at the bwf envirotech company uh me and matt had a really good talk we talked about a lot of different things um he's got a cool background he's got a process engineering background in cement and lime manufacturing, uh, as well as the steel industries. So this is kind of neat for me. I've never talked to anybody that's come out of those industries. It's uh, fun to to uh, sort of share our war stories and talk about career development and whatnot, uh, and realize that, you know what, it doesn't matter what sector of the industry in, there, there's going to be those nuances that are going to make each sector a little bit different from the next. Uh, But largely, uh, we kind of all share a similar path and deal with similar struggles and oftentimes use similar methodologies to overcome all of those challenges. Um, We talk about fast paced changes within project execution. Uh, We talk about keeping key people on site, how to do that. Uh, We talk about handling project urgency when schedules get unexpectedly pulled in. We all know about that, right? Uh, We also all know about stakeholder hurting. How do we get the people, the decision makers to the table and keep them there through the process? It's another topic we talk about. I think uh, the part of the conversation I enjoyed the most uh, was about career development, Matt's done well in his career. He's a director of operations at the company he works for, and um, he's got some pretty good stuff to say about how to get to uh, to that kind of a level. So before we get into uh, Matt and my conversation, just a couple of little podcast pieces of info. Uh, for one, thank you for listening. We do appreciate that. Um, putting together a lot of content right now. Uh, and if you want to keep up with what's going on, there's several ways that you can do that. Uh, there's social media. LinkedIn being the number one social media platform to get all of us, but also Facebook and Instagram. Um, here we go. You can also sign up for our email list at InnovateIPM.com. That is probably the single best thing that you can do to stay in touch. So we'll be sending out email as we come up with new podcasts, new blog posts, uh, as well as our In Development Now online courses, webinars, and very soon to come uh, networking events if you're here in the Houston, Texas area. So you'll want to sign up there and uh, be a part of what we got going on. And lastly, if you like what's going on here with Innovate IPM, uh, feel free to go by Patreon.com. And you can leave me a tip so you can show your appreciation that way as well. Patreon.com backslash Innovate IPM. Okay, well, let's get on with the show. Uh, Let's talk with Matt Devitt. Here we go. Matt Devitt, how are you, man?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Good. Good. So, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? How did you get there?
1: Absolutely. So Matt Devitt, I work with BWF uh, BWF Envirotech director of operations. And started a long time ago in the cement industry straight out of college. I've worked in cement, I've worked in calcined lime, worked in steel, waste heat to power, all holding the process engineering title, project management title, um, as well as some supervisory management roles within there. So all of it really uh, kind of revolves around process engineering and just heavy industry, just big equipment. And um, yeah, just, just, just. Big industry like that is where I've spent most of my time.
0: Yeah, cool. So that's in uh, manufacturing of cement and lime, I'm assuming? Yep,
1: Yep. yeah. So cement was uh, one stent. Uh, calcined Lime Products was another. Um, Worked in steel in two different sides. So uh, the slagging operation, so basically the waste product from the steel manufacturing we were turning into a finished product that we were using. And then uh, most recently, we were recycling all the hot gases off the coke batteries. Mm-hmm. And turning that into steam and power, and selling it inside the fence back to the uh, the steel mill. So, oh, nice. So, nice. so, yeah. So, a couple of different points, but all all process engineering, all kind of project management work in
0: there as well. So, how did you guys? What was like a normal way to to manage those kinds of resources? Were you guys preloading a P six schedule, or or what kind of uh, what kind of tools did you use? What kind of methods?
1: Yeah. So some of the, the, some of the stuff we do is just basic, you know, MS project you know, nothing mm-hmm. too crazy cause the, the intervals were pretty short. And we also, um, we had some pretty good working relationships with some of the subcontractors that would support. So, you know, even from them, we would get a, a block of time and they're like, okay, we're going to do this within here. And then I could go to them and go, okay, we'll break out that block and give me a better idea of what's going on. within Um, Another interesting thing that we would do for some of those jobs because we were on a site that um, the manpower would fluctuate up and down depending on what was going on as far Mm -hmm. as projects that were there, when you would find a very good crew of lead foreman, let's say for millwrights or something like that, if we knew we had projects that were maybe, let's say, a month and a half apart, I would try to find small, either small projects or other maintenance work to keep the, the strong lead foreman on our site through the subcontractor. So when we went into the larger project where now I had to double or even triple the crew that was normally there, I had people that were very, very familiar with the area they were working in, the style, just, you know, how do we talk to each other? How do we communicate? Um, and th- so those were some of the things that we did. We had, you know, more of a an MS project, okay, this is what the flow looks like. And this is where we think some pipe spots and junctions are going to come up. But there was also a resource planning that was more than just, hey, we need to rent a boom truck, you know, to come out and do this. It's like, okay, what are we going to do to keep, you know, Jim? What are we going to do to keep Jim on site? Because he's really good at this. And we're going to do the exact same thing in, you know, 45 days or 60 days. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. How far apart were the outages normally?
1: Depended. There was never a set schedule to them for the most part. And this is within steel. So if you go and if I jump out of steel and then I go to cement, mm-hmm. now you're looking at outages that if everything is operating correctly, I mean, they're pushing 18 to 24 months, sometimes, you know, upwards of 26, 28 months between major outages. Okay. Um, they'll have smaller outages, but within steel, you know they're looking at major outages like four or five you know seven years apart from each other. so sure. we're just always in this mini outage phase within steel, and that is true for some of the other industries like cement, but cement is is because those major outages seem to be much shorter in time frame, um, you can kind of plan for doing more of this work at that time
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's just it's it's a slightly different animal, so I don't want to make it sound like every industry is somewhat the same but you just have to figure out what those kind of cycles look like as far as okay when can we work on things um sure. you know sometimes it's not even outage work i mean we hate to say this but sometimes when you're full on inventory and you can't make any more product okay now i've got to pull in what would have been an outage you know three month, three weeks into the future it was supposed to start Now nah, we're going to do it now you know so how do you hurry up and pull that that outage work in
0: well, how do you? So, if you've got uh, if you've got a project to develop, mm-hmm. you need to figure out your scope, your schedule, your budget, and uh, maybe you're anticipating doing performing this work, executing it at some point in the future. And now uh, it just got pulled into the to the very near future. Mm-hmm. How do you guys handle that kind of uh, urgency?
1: Yeah, there's um. So having not enough good things can be said about having a very healthy working relationship with your, your subcontractors and even your suppliers. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's important is because if I do have to pull this in, I have to have a good enough working relationship to go, okay, well, I know I can't get your, for instance, I, I, you're telling me you don't have anybody who do you have, you know, that can bring here. Um, Could I bring another subcontractor in to just supply some of the manpower until your main crew gets here a week later? You know, so can I use a a low skill group to do kind of like the removal portion, which isn't high skill level? And then by the time you guys come in, okay, I ship them off site. Now I have the skilled guys that understand my scope and what I wanted done. Now they're finally here. Um, but again, a lot of this comes down to the fact of like how much pre planning can you do, like from a material standpoint? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we think the outage is, let's say, in six months. Um, again good terms can i place my po with you and even if my materials get here you know let's say 2 months before my outage are you still you know how do we play with those terms to where it's like okay can i pay you some for the materials being on site but you know do, what can i do to get them early enough just in case it does pull in because as you know when you get closer and closer to that outage itself you're really starting to reevaluate these things like, hey, is the, are the wheels going to come off of this piece of equipment? What are we looking at for sales? Because conversely, I talked about pulling it in. What I've seen happen more often than not is, oh my God, sales found this big job that we're going to go after and they took our outage and now they moved it out. Mm. You know, and so, that, so that's just the other kind of, um, uh, the other side of the coin from that point of view. It's like, okay, well, I had guys that were supposed to be showing up you know, Monday of next week. And now I gotta tell them, no, what I really need you is here to be Monday a month from now. Mm -hmm. So how does that impact them? Did I have any other backup contractors to go to? Um yeah, it gets messy. I mean this is where, you know, just from project management, as you know, I mean if you've got a target date, the closer you can hold to that, the easier the at least hopefully the easier your resources are for showing up on site and getting the job done actually takes place.
0: Right. Yeah, that's all. In other words, you've got to be very flexible because anything can happen.
1: Yep. Yeah. Flexibility helps, but then, um, not being, um, aloof. So you have to, even though you may not be in the project per se, like it hasn't started on day zero, you're still always active in the management of that project. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's where the flex, you can be more flexible if you were actively staying in touch with your contractors, staying in touch with, you know, sales or trying to figure out, okay, who's the person that's really pulling the trigger on when we start the project? You know, how do I, how do I get around them more so that I can start to feel, uh, I think the winds of change are strong, you know, something, something's happening. Um, You know, and so I think that's a part of, of active project management of it's not just, being present and active when the project starts, it's all the way up until the project starts and then through it.
0: Actively, continually, from beginning through the lulls, all the way into the project.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely.
0: And keeping your stakeholders close because obviously they can make decisions that are going to uh, that are going to affect the quality of your project and then the the ultimate outcome.
1: Mm-hmm yeah yeah absolutely understanding who you're you know you've got deliverables to to multiple people, not just you know from my perspective, it was always kind of quit equipment we were working on, but who are all of the people that um have an interest in seeing this the success of the project like you said stakeholders
0: sure did y'all do anything unique to sort of corral those people and and get them all on the same page? It's always hurting cats.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you try to figure out if you can put out a big enough bowl of milk or, you know, to, to try to get to, to bring them in. I think um, what helps is if you have multiple decision makers, sometimes you can if you can find the linking pin that's up above them, that if you can, you know, just to let them know, like, hey, I'm just letting you know this, this is what's going on. And it's going to impact your direct reports here. It's a lot easier to have that person be like, oh, well, maybe, you know. You can always try to um, manage up with the hey, I'm doing all of these things, but just to coordinate best amongst your team, you know how do how do I do this And so that's where it's interesting within project management is sometimes I think we and you might be alluding to this like we're always focused on the equipment or where are we on the you know the Gantt chart for lack of a better word, but you know there is a large um, people component to this. and so how do you get the right people um, at the table and I think it's really Trying to establish that early on and then, you know, just keeping them involved. And this could be anything from, you know, an email once a month, just letting them know where that list of to dos is, to you may have somebody that you're going to be talking to, you know, two, three times a week for the three months leading up to that outage. Um, But they're going to be your biggest advocate when you know, you do have to be flexible because I feel like they understand all of the pieces. And so they're willing to, um, you know, really pitch in. So yeah, that's always been kind of an interesting thing is figuring out, okay, how do you not only manage the, the pieces, but also the people that are super integral to getting the project done itself.
0: The people are what make it happen, right? So having those soft skills and understanding how to communicate effectively, uh, you know, which is, I think that, um, We say communicate effectively a lot of times, but I think it it all comes down to being present, being present with those people. Uh, I think that's really the best way I know to describe it. It, it, What happens in in my world quite often is that uh, uh, people responsible for, for being the cat herder, they disappear for a while. Or mm-hmm. you know they get caught up in maybe another competing project, so some projects competing for their attention. Mm-hmm. They drop the ball. Expect everything to keep rolling when they walk away. As soon as they walk away, everybody goes on to do something completely different. Yeah. They've got competing competing things too. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. I want to pivot a little bit um, and talk about career. I think you're you're in a pretty good spot in your career now. I think you're in a spot that a lot of people would aspire to be in.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely a way to put it. Sure.
0: I think it'd be interesting to uh, talk a little bit about um, you know, what it took t- to get to where you are.
1: Okay. I think one of the things... So looking back on my career um, is that I very rarely have ever said no to being a part or being on a project or anything. Mm-hmm. Um there was a good part of my 20s and probably into easily halfway through my 30s if not longer um where I it, it, the way I approached things is I just had a bad case of FOMO like just fear of missing out on something so I just never I never said no it just yeah. it wasn't something I said um and because of that it allowed me to be a fly on the wall in very interesting projects Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe the only thing I was doing for those projects was, you know, young engineer, I'm going to take meeting minutes, but that was great because I literally had a seat at the table to, to hear what was going on. Okay. What's important to them. Um, and so that was, that was helpful is at least for me. Um, I just liked being involved in a lot of different things. Um, also being involved in different areas, I think helped out from a project management standpoint. So. If you take process engineers like I started, and you have them do a project, they very, Hold on, I'll be somewhat generaliz- generalized here, but you know they may not view it from the standpoint of how do I fix this thing. You know, so as I did projects that were very maintenance oriented, you know, kind of like sustainability projects, um, things of that nature, I would start to look at my own projects, going, okay, well, this is a great piece of equipment, and it's going to help us here, but. Do I need an overhead crane? Do I even have any access? Do I need a platform on the other side? Like, How is a physical person going to work on this? Um, do I need to have all the electrical located up here? Or yes, I'm going to pay more for conduit, but does it make sense to have it all on the ground floor? So it's just, it's easier to get to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think being exposed to other departments really helped as well, because it gives you a better rounded view sure. of all the people that are sitting at that table. Like we talked about earlier, you know, it's like, how do you know who to have sitting at the table? Well, if you've been a part of a lot of projects having to wear those different hats, you can kind of look around the table and go, "Mm, there's nobody in here from automation. This is not good. You know, even if you don't have automation directly in your project, you may want to have them there for the kickoff just so they know what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's helped out a lot within, um, Within, So, yeah, not saying no, um, just being involved with different departments to see their perspective. And then I'd have to say the last one is just um, trying to find a better way to ask, maybe not, you know, the better way to ask a question, but also being humble enough knowing that you can learn from just about everybody. I mean, I've learned some really good tips and tricks from guys that have never held an engineering degree. And they were, from my standpoint, they were amazing, you know, process engineers, but they would have never had that moniker because they didn't have the title. Right. Um, You know, where, you know, and I also learned from some really good things from those that were, you know, higher up and they did have the title and you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, you just have to be willing to just learn from anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I read a a little piece of history on the guy who founded judo. And when he died, he was buried in his white belt because he wanted everybody to know that he was constantly learning.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah.
0: I thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> yeah,
1: that is good. That is good. That is true. Yeah. There's, there's definitely always, uh, there's always places of improvement. I think that's part of the whole, you know, I never said no to anything. I just always knew there was a way, um, you know, just to do things better and stuff like that. Sure. Um, you know, and then, uh, I think lastly, you know, so having transitioned into more of a director operations role, I focused a lot, you know, like I talked about on learning the the equipment, the processes and so on and so forth. And somewhere within there, you'll have an inflection point to where you need to start understanding, okay, how do I interact effectively with people? How do I present myself? How um, do I listen to a person? And they may be really angry about what's going on, but how do I disengage enough to really understand where they're coming from? and you know effectively try to um change the situation figure out what's really going on and be better at that point so that's that is something that i can definitely see myself along with the technical skills but that's the portion where um that would be something i would be buried in my white in my white belt for is just you know always trying to refine and figure out okay how do i work with people more effectively
0: so would you consider yourself more of a generalist
1: Um, yes, I think at this point in time, my career, probably, um, I definitely did start being more, it's kind of interesting when you come out of college, I would, I would consider just about everybody out of college, somewhat of a generalist until they really get into the job and figure out where does the company have opportunities for value creation, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you can start to specialize in those areas. So, you know, I got out of college, I was very general. And then, as I got into cement and heavy industry, became very uh, focused on like pyro processing. Um, that was one of the niches that I went after, as well as um, you know raw mix design and things like that. So I tried to have um, you know two kind of specialties that I could go for, with a third that was kind of hanging out there, just in case I ever had to rotate it back in. Um, but then again, as you start to not only move up within a company, but as you become exposed to all of the different facets that actually impact the the company you're working for, the process, the people. Um, I think inherently you start to become slightly more generalized Mm -hmm. in, in a way. Um, so fast forward to where I am today. Yes, I am very, you know, general. I oversee the manufacturing and conversion for filter bags. Um, can I do a lap seam? No. But, I mean, I've tried and it's terrible um, and I'll keep trying because I want to understand that process. But what I do understand is working with my leads and going, okay, where are the skill sets we have and then how can I best support you in shoring up those gaps, you know, for instance. And so I don't have a specialty in the standpoint of how to make or sew that filter bag if needed but I do have enough generalities of, okay, I can understand your process. I definitely see these are some areas that we could get better. I'm going to go to you subject matter expert. That's closest to the line. Again, being open enough to learn from them and go, okay, where do you think this could be better? And then I can take that information. And this is where we construct business plans. This is where I bring in, you know, potentially HR to help support my training efforts, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So I just think inherently, um we become more generalized. And it's interesting you bring this up because I had a, a conversation with um a good friend of mine who's now a plant manager on my podcast. And we kind of went round on this. And her her philosophy is is was really good. And it's the fact that you never really lose any of the specificity that you have because what it always allows you to do is kind of pull like you can call bull within the areas that you know pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, but because you were so specific, what you really did is you learned how to learn. And so sometimes that's how you become more of a generalist is because you know how to pick things up pretty quickly to get 60, 70, 80% competent, you know, so you can have the conversation, you can ask the smart question. Um, but you just know you're not going to spend that time to get that last 20%. It's just, you're just not going to do it. So, by inherently, you kind of just become a generalist.
0: By becoming a specialist.
1: Yeah, yeah. You become a <laughs> specialist at first. Yeah. It, it's in, and so. It yeah,
0: makes total sense, um, really.
1: But, you know, but to your point, you know, if we wax philosophically, the whole staying generalist portion, I think, is. Um, good to a certain extent within your career. Like you can be very specialized in one area. And that's why I always said, I always had this third item that I always was interested in Yeah. because you know, if the first two at a plant don't have a lot of wheels, I really want to be able to hitch my wagon to something else that I'm good at. Yeah. Because then you become a generalist that has no specialty and that's not good.
0: Right. Right. No, I, I totally agree. And, and, my background is, uh, uh, in construction. And I've been a project manager on the construction side. I've been a project manager on the engineering side, uh, I've represented the contractors and I've represented the owners. And then somewhere down the line, I was, I was pulling my hair out. And, uh, and I remember, uh, I was going on a vacation with the family and I was hitting like 90 hour work weeks at a, a company that I was working at. And I remember leaving, I was actually wearing two hats there. I was being a project manager on the design side. And, hang on, Zoom's talking to me here. And uh, and I was also the lead cost estimator for that company. And when I left, I said, uh, I said, "Hey, I can't do this anymore. You're going to have to hire an estimator so I can focus on project management." Ended up on vacation. Uh, the dust settled in my mind, and I realized that all my stress was actually coming from project management. <laughs> And so when I got back, I said, I changed my mind. Uh, I don't want to be a project manager anymore. Just make me an estimator. Mm-hmm. Something I vowed I would never do because I didn't want to get pigeonholed into anything. Right. You know? uh, but honestly, becoming a specialist or subject matter expert in that has, has bolstered my career by quite a bit. But it, mm-hmm. would, it wouldn't be that way if I didn't also have that project management background to fall on. Mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that way if I didn't also have a middle management background to follow on. So I totally agree with, uh, with everything you just said. I think that's, that's true in my life as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they, they, you know, we talk about specialization, but you can't really do it on an Island, right? It's uh, you know, they all kind of have to nest into each other to support, you know, something else. And so, you know, you may be, you know, specializing in just being a really good manager, which is kind of an interesting concept in and of itself. Um, but you could do that you sure. know, And you have other items that you're getting into, but no, that completely makes sense. I mean, from your standpoint, it sounds like, you know, you started in one area, but because you were strong in another, they kind of just, you know, melded together and allowed you to be much more effective somewhere else.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's worked out great for me. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I have this podcast now I'm connected to a lot of leadership in the mm-hmm. industry. And I thought, man, this would be great if we could get, People who, like yourself onto the podcast to talk about uh, leadership in the heavy industries because I don't I don't see a lot of that happening. But
1: yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. I think it's was- a, a fantastic idea to start a podcast. Like, I mean, had I known you were uh, you were gonna videotape me, I, I would have. Uh, I mean, at least I was home, you know. But here I am working from home. I got my you know Super Mario <laughs> shirt on that my niece my niece bought for me for Christmas. So. But yeah, uh, not, absolutely
0: yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah,
1: no, no, but I think your podcast is definitely on point. I definitely think there's a an interesting area to have more of these conversations on project management and just, um, instead of relinquishing things back to um, folklore or the you know, handing down of knowledge, you know, I think this kind of format where you can very easily just disperse quick things that you've learned here and there from different people, um yeah, I can only see that helping the overall project management world just to get more of those little nuggets, those little tidbits out there to the the masses. Yeah. Hey, also- I
0: appreciate that. Yeah. It's really excellent. So let's, let's talk a little bit uh, about your podcast. So you got one too.
1: I do. I do. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. So the podcast I have is the uh, growth happens dawn to dust podcast. And what I focus on is um, uh, absolutely nothing to do with my job. Actually, it's just, <laughs> Just having conversations with um, people I've known in the past, uh, people I don't even know that have very interesting backgrounds, philosophies, um, have done interesting things. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm about uh, six uh, episodes in right now, so I'm still pretty early on. But yeah, I mean, as of right now, I've I've interviewed everything from um, this is a huge cadre of people, but you know, plant managers to a tattoo artist to an individual that runs a uh, massage and float parlor. So you're in like these uh, um, tanks that are basically isolation tanks where you float on uh, water that has a lot of salt in it, you know, so getting her perspective on things okay. to um, <laughs> a professor in finance. And so, yeah, that's what I do, and I just try to pick apart. Like, um, how did you how did you start into this? What did you find interesting? What's your beautiful disaster? I, I really enjoy that question. You know, the one like, at the time, oh my god, this is terrible. This is going to be the worst ever. And then you allow time to give you that perspective to look back on it and be like, wow, that was really. That was a, an amazing thing that happened to me It mm-hmm. just, you don't realize it until time has passed. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's my podcast in a nutshell, just talking to people about their journey. What have they learned and just, you know, trying to show people other nuggets that, uh, you know, maybe they want to incorporate into their own journeys.
0: You go to a lot of, uh, uh, conferences, I think.
1: Yeah. I, we, we have a standard, uh, conference, uh, junket that you have to run through. So yeah. So
0: do you, do you, do you think that's a good way to, uh, to network?
1: Um, it is if you, if you do it with purpose, um, if you are, it, so it depends on who you are, right? So if you're there in a vendor booth the whole time and you're just standing there waiting for people to come to you, uh, it's not effective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you will meet people, you know, but um, there's a whole lot of people that aren't going to walk by your booth. So that portion I think really has to be, uh, actively managed you know, you have to kind of either set a goal or something of that nature like, Hey, I want to meet so many people or, you know, I'm going to introduce myself, um, you know, outside of the booth. Um, you know, are you going to do things after hours? So on and so forth. So that's kind of from the vendor side. I mean, when I approached some of the conferences more from the, um, producer side, you know, so actually working in the plant, um, you know, I would always look at it, not so much, um, I liked meeting with vendors just to see what was out there. But I was always interested in meeting with other people within my industry, mm-hmm. kind of doing what we're doing right now. You know, Hey, what have you worked on? What have you done? You know, is it similar, or not similar, um, things of that nature. But again, you all have to, you have to go into it with the active intent of talking to somebody, you know, breaking the ice in some form or fashion. Um, yeah. And so I think what's interesting is with some of the, Conferences I've been to recently, they're really trying to actively promote that um, those the 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 areas where that kind of connection can take place, um, which is great, you know, because not everybody maybe is um, you know gregarious and loud spoken as myself, you know, so to say. So I think it's really nice that they've started to have kind of breakout sessions that may be on a technical topic, but they allow time within them to, you know, and sometimes I mean, one I was in. Um, you know, right before he started, he's like, Hey, why doesn't everybody just, uh, you know, shake hands with somebody next to you?
2: Mm.
1: You know? So I think that's, I don't know if that's going to become a norm, but I do find it interesting on how conferences I think have started to realize that um, we need to that force might not be the right word, but create as many opportunities for those touch points to happen. Sure. Cause that's where, People I think are now starting to find a lot more of the value of going to a conference. You know, yes, we want to see the technical papers. Yes. I do want to meet with certain vendors, but who's here that I don't know yet that I should. Mm -hmm. And how do we make that happen?
0: And do you have advice for anybody? So you're, you're a pretty outgoing guy. I'm, I'm, I'm outgoing to some extent, but usually when I go to a conference, it takes me, it takes me through uh, the first half of the day before I just start talking to random people and things like that. Mm -hmm. Advice for, for people who are just scared to death of walking up and talking to people, or is that even the right approach? I don't know.
1: Um, so I think one of the things that would help, um, and I found this, so yes, I, I'm, I'm, I like to do presentations and things like that, but you know, when there's a big room and I'm not exactly sure how to interject myself, it's, mm-hmm. it can be intimidating sure. Um, for sure. One of the things that I know has helped recently is as I've become more involved with certain conferences is now that I'm a part of like the local conference committee or a, a part of a working group, it's a lot easier to make those introductions because I just go, Hey, I'm, you know, Matt Devitt and I'm part of the EENS working group for the PCA conference. Uh, who are you here with?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, so it, it kind of gives you a way to show the person like, Hey, I'm relevant cause I'm actually a part of this conference and I want to know what are you doing here? You know, how, um, you know, that works. Um, I think that's helpful for some people, especially those that, you know, may not like that. At least it almost gives them a level of permission of, yeah, you can go talk to anybody you want here because you set this conference up. You were a part of the team. And so, yeah, go, go say hi to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all a part of your group now. Um, so that's something that recently because I've been more involved with setting up, um, some of the technical portions of, of conferences, I found that to be a really useful icebreaker. It's just letting people know that you're a part of the committee and just want to welcome you here and who are you? It's a a, a real simple icebreaker. So uh,
0: here's my my big closing question. It may improve over time, but this is the one I got for now. So what is the single best advice you would give to people who want to get to where you are professionally?
1: I'm going to go back to uh, one of the earlier ideas, and that's just try to get yourself involved with as many aspects of your company as possible. I mean, this is, you know, the, and I brought it up earlier, you know, setting at the table taking minutes is the job everybody hates to do that's on that group, but it's the one that will always allow you to have a seat at the table and it allows you to write down and track exactly what has to be done. So you can learn firsthand what's important, what isn't. So I think just, finding ways to get a seat at the table or even in the room mm-hmm. um, as often as possible, I think is just going to open you up to all the avenues that you didn't even know were possible within your field.
0: Excellent. Is there anything that you uh, you want to promote? Would you like to uh, promote your podcast?
1: I appreciate it. I mean, you guys can find me. Just look up uh, Growth Happens Dawn to Dusk. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, under Matt Devitt. And you can find me on a bunch of the other interwebs you know with a handle of debit mat so you look up any of those and you'll find me somewhere floating out there in the ether cool awesome cool. man
0: well listen it was really great having you on innovate ipm podcast i appreciate it i uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again
1: absolutely appreciate it thanks for having me on
0: that was innovate ipm episode 4. thank you all for listening Be sure and go to www.innovateipm.com for more information. Bye now.